In justice to the officers and men, I must add that their behavior upon this occasion reflects the highest honor upon them. The difficulty of passing the river in a very severe night and their march through a violent storm of snow and hail did not in the least abate their ardor. But when they came to the charge, each seemed to vie with the others in pressing forward. Were I to give a preference to any particular call, I should do great injustice to the others. The words of General George Washington. And this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we'll look at where we are right now at 1 p.m. Eastern on Friday, what we've learned about polling, we look at the challenges facing the Republic this week, and in our hot take segment, we get get to lots of stuff as well as to Justin, and we will wrap with our Guardians of the Week. Please make sure to subscribe and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app, Patrick, you know, you picked out this week's um, quote, the Washington quote. And I have to say that as I went back and forth on this, uh, the, the la- we, we do a couple of them. I do it a couple of times just to make sure that we get it for sound and for safety. It, it, is, it, is, a, it is a description of uh, – I'll leave – it was a description of the Battle of Trenton or the Battle of the Crossing of the Delaware. And as I was reading it, I was thinking of – the men and women in this country across the states who were fighting so hard for our republic. And I was terribly moved by it, I have to say. Um, so thank you so much for for picking this quote. Typically, it's it's left to me to pick the quote. Uh, do you want to tell us a little background on that quote before yeah, we get so to where the, we are? This is, uh, this is a letter from George Washington to John Hancock, who was the president of uh, the Continental Congress, reporting on what happened after that fateful day when he crossed the Delaware and... Uh, and defeated the Hessians at uh, Trenton, and so it was the it was the battle that turned the tide of of the war. Um, if that had not happened, there is no question that the Continental forces would have lost the war. Because we it had was, just given up. You, you give the history too, because we had yeah. Just, so so we just given up uh, Manhattan. Um, uh, an army of uh, I think it was something like thirty or forty thousand was dwindled to about three thousand. Manhattan was lost. Uh, Washington was holding Fort Lee uh, in New Jersey, just across from Manhattan, and in November of 1776 abandoned it and just kind of ran, ran outran the british across new jersey and into pennsylvania the british decided that ah, we'll let them set it out they've only got a couple thousand many of them their enlistments are up um mm-hmm. on new year's eve they you know so he might have a thousand soldiers left in the spring and we'll just go in there and clean it up then so washington knew that he had to do something before the end of the year so on christmas night decided let's see if we can take out the hessians and surprise surprise without with losing almost nobody in that first battle uh they defeated the the hessian garrison there and then took control of trenton for a bit then they they went back across the river and they had two more battles to fight and i think that's that's the key that's why i picked it is yes the you know what happened in this election this year is a victory but it's only the first victory that turned the tide 
we got many, many battles ahead of us before we win the war. But without that victory, and it's not official yet by any stretch, it has not been called outside of it being called by the de- uh, decision desk HQ, which has some some say, but n- not enough. Although uh, we expect by the time uh, folks are listening to this after we recorded it, that will it'll either have been called or be close to called at this point. Everything right. is moving in that direction. Right, but but as of now, we're not we're going to move forward with the thought that it looks like there is a President Biden, and if Biden had not won this, if he has not won this, um, and President Trump was in office for another four years, the challenges to the Republic, I think the suggestion you're making would be similar to the challenges to the Continental Army, which is that the Republic would not survive in the way. Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, I think so. I think if Donald Trump had won, then that was that would have been the end. There would be no way. And, that, and this doesn't mean that that right. Republic is definitely going to survive now. No, we not. have a lot of work to do. But but like Washington, and I have a special uh, uh, place in my heart for that battle uh, on the television show Turn Washington Spies, where I played General Washington. That was the first time you meet Washington. Yes, that's where you show walking, up. Yeah, that's where I show up. Walking through the room when, with his men screaming, Trenton, Princeton, Jersey is ours again. Um, and so it's it's very personally uh, personally moving to me as well uh, to read pers- that book. And it's personally moving to me because I live there. I mean, I, I see it all the time. I pass those spots where that happened. And I am reminded of that every day. Which that, is how that, you and I started this, if yes. you think back. It was uh, Bob. What was Bob's last name? I forget Bob's last Bob name. Summer. Bob Summer. Our friend Bob Summer. Yeah. I was doing some work with uh, trying to help a, a hospice in New Jersey. And he told you that he had met me and you said, oh, I'm a fan. I believe you said I'm a fan of that show. I'd love to meet him. And that's how we first met was talking about how we could celebrate 2026, which was then we started a friendship, which then started a started this. I mean, started a a conversation, which then started this show. So it all sort of does come uh, beautifully full circle. So let's talk about we're going to do it in a slightly different order today. We're going to talk about where we are right now. Then we're going to talk about polling. And uh, then we're going to talk about the Republic, then into our fun hot takes with Justin. And once again, Guardian of the Week. So where do you think we are right now? What do you see? What 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 do we feel? Well, I mean, it, it's an interesting coalition there. It's uh, certainly the result is not the repudiation, the, uh, the complete repudiation of Donald Trump uh, that we thought uh, might happen. Uh, and remember, I think, and last week I warned that any, you know, there was a wide range of possibilities, including Trump potentially pulling it off. Uh, that could happen. I think everybody was hoping that the other possibility on the other end of the spectrum, that uh, Joe Biden would just be a landslide. And by Tuesday night, we would have known everything and you'd carry all these members of Congress, Democrats into Congress with him. And the Senate. Yep. But uh, what we did see is a, a, a broad coalition, just like in that quote from Washington, where you, you really can't credit one more than the other. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, urban voters, black, uh, black voters, black women, um, uh, suburban voters, uh, and, but also another group is uh, uh, white men, young white men, in fact, men, you know, white men under the age of 45, uh, who they were a group that Joe Biden actually lost. I mean, Donald Trump won that group, but Joe Biden actually made some significant inroads with that group um, and cut that margin with them. And that was really the difference in flipping uh, those Midwestern states of uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, and, and now uh, Pennsylvania is on its way. So, uh, you know, so there was a key group of coalition. And of course, what did we hear? <laughs> is that 
it wasn't the big victory that the Democrats were hoping for. So the, the Democrats on their on their Democrats in Congress and the House of Representatives on their call on Thursday were just slamming each other because it's a big tent with many different factions. And now the fight is on about which faction is um, going to win over. And again, this is why the battle's not over. The battle for the Senate, it's not over. I mean, so there, there's a lot of things that, um, you know, we have to, to look at. But, you know, some things that, that, you know, are bright spots are the changing diversity of the country. Georgia, Arizona, North Carolina is still a question mark. I mean, probably Trump will win it, but we could find out next week that there are a lot of votes that weren't counted. And suddenly that flips as well. Florida is the big um, bizarre one in there. But it, if we have an election where Florida isn't the bizarre state. I don't know if, <laughs> if we'd be able to live with that. You know, is this, would you say this was, uh, I was speaking to my younger brother, who's a very smart guy. And he was saying he, he worked in the political world. He did a lot of uh, canvassing. He worked on the Obama campaign. Um, and he was saying that he was wondering whether it was closer to 2016 or 2018. And what he said, what he said, which I think is right, is it was sort of a combination of the both. Um, it was it wasn't fully 2016 and it wasn't fully 2018. Um, but we did see, you know, sort of a, a, a middle ground. Is that is that how you feel about it? Um, yeah, it seems like like that the suburban uh, suburban women, the vote did not come out or in the same way as it did in 2018. Or maybe it was just offset by some other vote in the suburbs. Right. That's why we saw a number of those um, House members go down who won their seats two years ago. Uh, so yeah, I think there, there is, there was a combination there because there's no question. I mean, uh, Joe Biden won more, uh, by the time the votes are finally counted out in California, Joe Biden will have won more votes. I think he already has than any other presidential candidate in history. And Donald Trump is going to come in second place on that. He's going to surpass Hillary Clinton's vote share and Barack Obama's vote share, um, as well, uh, you know, total number of not share, but total number of votes. Uh, that they received. So we're going to have a record number of votes, but as I'm, I'm looking at, at the vote getting counted, it's not going to quite hit 160 million, I don't think, which is where we thought it was going to hit. So a lot of little things happened that kind of changed this dynamic and ended up helping Republicans down ballot. You know, I'm thinking about, I, I had this moment today where I thought how there was no third party really in this race. And I wondered if there was no third party in 2016, because that three four percent that Brad Johnson was getting all across the country mm -hmm. would have looked more like tonight or this past week, right? Yeah. Because you know, I was thinking about Biden. He he. They lost. He uh, Clinton lost Pennsylvania by forty thousand votes. Is that correct? Yep. And now it looks like Biden's going to win it somewhere around eighty to a hundred thousand votes. You know, how many did Brad Johnson get in twenty sixteen? And, you know, I, it was just something that, that crossed my mind. I just wanted to throw it out there. Also, I wanted to talk about the Senate, right? So I know that there's a, a tremendous amount of uh, frustration on the Democratic side that the Senate is not going to the, the way of the Democrats. I think what happened in North Carolina, that, that scandal really hurt Cunningham against Tillis. But also, if we look at what happened with Susan Collins, uh, Lindsey Graham was less of a surprise. Personally, Mitch McConnell wasn't much of a surprise with all that money in both of those places. But, you know, I, I have an interesting theory that I want to propose at some point. But first, I want you to give your accounting. First, do you think there's a chance that Georgia could make the difference? And is there a silver bullet out there uh, with that we that has not really been discussed? This is what's going to be bizarre. Um, so we're going to have two Georgia Senate seats uh, that haven't been decided. 
Congress, I think, comes back into session, the new session. They take their oaths on January 3rd. The Georgia runoff is on January 5th. Right. So they, those two Republican senators will continue to serve until the election is done. And then then it'll flip to whoever wins those two elections. Um, but we have a special Senate seat in Georgia and then the regular Senate seat. That's why there were two races this year. Uh, I th- I think that that the it's possible that the Democrats could win both of those. And here's why uh, the. We know that Georgia is known for suppressing the African-American vote. And that's how Stacey Abrams basically lost two years ago. However, it looks like Joe Biden might end up winning. It's going to go to a recount, but there's a good chance that Joe Biden could win this thing, which means that they found the Democrats found ways to overcome that that national natural suppression. We're going to go into January where the initial inclination that we're getting from uh, President Trump and and his family is they're out there tweeting that the the Republicans have abandoned them. Yep. Everybody, but it seems like Lindsey Graham, who's staying and with Ted them, Cruz, Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz, a little bit. Yep. Um, yeah, it's interesting. They're all kind of you know deciding. You know, Ted Cruz wants to run for president again, so right. They, and they and figured- Junior, Junior, Donald Trump Junior came yeah. out and said, "If you're thinking of running in 2024, you better step up." And it was interesting to see because yeah. Marco Rubio went the other way, Ben Sass went the other way. They right. both said, "You got to count the votes. Stop with the nonsense." Sass, Ben Sass, Ben Sass um, has been uh, had a good week. As far as I'm concerned, keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah. So anyway, so in, in Georgia, I'm thinking that it's possible that the Republican turnout could be um, depressed because, depressed because they, they think that, that, you know, these are Trump supporters. That's why they came out. The Republicans won on the back of uh, uh, support for Donald Trump in those states where they won. Um, and if they get the, the signal that those folks turned on uh, Trump, then there's no reason to come out and su- support uh, Purdue and Loeffler. In Georgia, whereas you might continue to get a higher um, than expected Democratic turnout, so they could flip those two seats, which would then flip the yep. Senate after after Joe Biden. I mean, you know, after this this the Senate starts meeting, but you know that that's a possibility. There's also another possibility. Here's the magic the outside, bullet. Well, there's the outside possibility is Alaska, and everybody said Alaska, Alaska. Uh, what the heck? And, and the guy up in the, uh, the the incumbent in Alaska, the Republican, is up by I think 20 points in the count. The thing is, the same thing that's happened elsewhere happened in Alaska. About nearly half the vote hasn't been counted yet and won't start getting counted until next week. And it's all mail ballots. And what do we know about mail ballots? The Democrats do better in the mail ballots. Alaska's slightly different because- Yeah, Alaska's so hard to predict. But still, the Democrats are going to do better in the mail ballots. The question is by how much? I mean, is it enough to make up up the the margin? The guy's name is Al Gross. Right. Al Gross is cool. I don't know if, yeah. if you have a Jersey guy, by the way, if he wins, there'd be four senators from New Jersey. The, the two that we elect and uh, Mark <laughs> Kelly from Arizona, who was born okay. in New Jersey. But Dan Sullivan, who is the incumbent, is at 62.3% and Al Gross is at 32.1%. John Wayne Howe of the Alaskan Independence Party, which I don't know anything about where they land. Uh, well, if they're the Alaskan Independence Party, one would r- probably suggest that they're more to the right than to the left. If they're trying to talk about secession um, is at five point five percent. He's down 60,000 or so votes, maybe a little less, 57,000 votes with another uh, hundred and ninety thousand votes to go. You said it was three to one that Gross would need to pull. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's uh, the calculation. And, you know, in other states, uh and again, it depends. Um, 
in the mail, the mail ballot, uh, Joe Biden is getting six to one, seven to one, eight to one, even in some places. And now I don't think that would happen in Alaska, but three to one is not out of the realm of possibility. So that could happen as well. Another possibility besides Alaska is, as I said, we don't know what's how many votes are out in North Carolina. So it might turn out to be just a yeah, wash. It's too much. Not that many. It's too much. Uh, it's about a hundred thousand votes that um, that I think um, Cunningham, Cunningham is now. Yeah. there. But they they could turn out and sit, turn around and say, yeah, that, that we have uh, three hundred thousand mail ballots that weren't counted, and suddenly we're in a different ballpark again. That would so, be a very yeah, so we don't know. So it's possible between Alaska and North Carolina, then, and that this is, you know, this is the the long shot of long shots that you could have a Democratic Senate before we even get to the Georgia runoffs. But <laughs> there's still the possibility of getting to a Democratic Senate with the Georgia runoffs slightly after Joe Biden takes the the oath of office. So uh-huh. that's, uh, you know, that's no. The wouldn't thing. it be before? It would be before, wouldn't it? Uh, it depends on when they certify the the Georgia results. So if okay. they certify them by uh, January twentieth, then yes, he would they would take office before. I have he- a big old theory that I want to share now, um, and which is this: everyone on the Democratic side has been rooting hard for a Democratic Senate. Um, what I wanted to suggest, though, is that, and as was I personally, just from my own personal want. Standing on the other side of the election, seeing that Biden has won, which I think we both agree is absolutely key to the survival of the republic, we've been in gridlock for since, I don't know, I mean, would you say certainly since 2008 um, and 2009, where McConnell has taken the, the reins. If the Democrats were, let's say, were to have gotten 54 votes in the Senate, Really, I actually think that we would be, when we got to the talk of the Republic, as much as we're scared about how things are going um, on the Republican side, I think that there would be some real fear on the Democratic side. Are they going to sort of pay back old old, old, uh, old pain, you know, like, all right, we've got the power now we're getting rid of the, we're doing the nuclear option. The, the, so the, are, are you saying it's specifically 54 as the number and 51 no, is okay or was, just the Democrats no, no, are in control that if the Democrats were in control with enough of a balance where Manchin couldn't say, yeah, we're not doing any of this stuff. Cause if it was 50, 50 Manchin would hold a lot of power and other Democrats could say, we're not doing this. We're not adding to the court. We're not getting rid of the filibuster. Right. But if it was 54, then Schumer might be able to, to do some, some business. Here's what I want to put out there, just as a hope. It's really just a hope. Let's assume that it ends 51-49 for the Republicans, and McConnell has a very narrow line. Why we're hiring Biden for the job is he, what he is providing or suggesting he's going to provide is an opportunity for the country to come together. As I'm in this business of politics that I've left the acting world so that I could be in this world, it's because I look at it through the eyes of George Washington. And all Washington tried to do through his entire career and his failures, his magnificent failures that he had as a slave owner, but other things was try to bring the country together, try to find consensus. That's why I was very high on Biden Mm -hmm. and why I thought that he was, of all the choices on the Democratic side, the only choice. And Gary Kasparov, my, my old friend, would say to me, if it's not Joe Biden, it's over your country, right? And it turns out, I think, that, that Gary Kasparov was right. But why? Because there is respect. There is anger between the two sides. But Biden is going to sit down with Lindsey Graham. Biden is going to sit down with Mitch McConnell and say, we're in a dangerous position as a country. 
And I know that you're going to want to sort of tighten the belt now and not, you know, because of the debt and everything else. But we've got to find a way to make things better for our citizens. Now I'm going to throw in some other idea. Well, there wait. A, we have to continue this idea, right, uh, that you're talking about right now. The, the key there is Biden's got to sit down. Or, is, or you said Biden is going to sit down with Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell. I agree with you that that's Joe Biden. That's what he does. Yeah. But. You just just uh, shot an entire <laughs> shot uh, your whole theory uh, in the water there. Who's sitting on the other side Mitch of the McConnell. table? Mitch Absolutely. McConnell. Okay. And at some point, look, you, you you talked about Washington, and he wanted to uh, keep people together. At at some point, he had to court martial Charles Lee. At some point, you can't, it's you can't deal with Mitch McConnell. Okay, Mitch. Uh, this is the so. Maybe wait, I, I could it. agree with you in the sense that it's 54, if they had 54 seats and they could do what they want without Manchin, then, then yeah, maybe that's a little too far, but you got to, you got to get rid of Mitch McConnell. You got to take him off the, off the field. I'm all for it. I'm just saying that I, I look at Warnock and I wonder whether a man of color is going to be elected to the Senate in the state of Georgia. I wonder about that. Okay. I think that Osof has a chance. I do know that Loeffler has his fight with Collins. I agree with what you're saying. I just want to put out there, I have this other great big theory. It's coming up. I, I've got a plan. Uh, let me let me take it just let me just take it a month past when Mitch McConnell says, I'm sorry, Joe, but you don't get to do anything and I'm the boss here, right? Okay. Pat Toomey has announced his retirement in 2022. He's not running for election for anything ever again. Pat Toomey was on ABC News this morning. And Pat Toomey was asked about President Trump. And he didn't go as far as Rubio or Sass to say, screw this guy, which is essentially what those guys said. But Toomey was reasonable, and Toomey is reasonable. Why would why would it seem absolutely impossible that either Toomey or Lisa Murkowski or, gosh forbid, even Susan Collins decides that what's more important than keeping control for the Republicans is for there to be something that moves forward for the country. So let's say it is Pat Toomey. He becomes the most powerful member of the Senate if he says, I'm going to caucus with the Democrats for the next two years because my state needs my state needs this. And at that point, Toomey gets to make decisions. Toomey gets to be the head of any council that he wants. I'm just saying that there are other opportunities well, for what, what do you say growth. That they flip they flip their support? To yes. Democrats or yes. they, Arlen one, Specter from Pennsylvania did that at, at one point. I'm, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. Arlen Specter did it. I'm saying that Pat Toomey is leaving government. He's going back to the private sector. He's not running for governor. And if he right. looks at it and says, my state needs relief, COVID relief. And if with McConnell as the head of the Senate, yeah, I think, uh, I think given Toomey's uh, ideological perspective, I think it'd be incredibly difficult for him to do that. I think it would be easier for Collins to do that. Um, and I don't know whether she would. I mean, I think you're being just, uh, quite frankly, a little naive about Toomey. I, I know you would love the hearts That's and flowers not, here. It yeah. ain't happening under don't this. Call me naive. No, no, like that. Let's call. Let's call me optimistic. Let's call me. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Call, if you're thinking it's any, anything where Mitch McConnell is still somewhere in the playing field involved, I don't think that's going to happen. But one thing that I saw floated around is the potential for a a 
a cabinet post or something like that for one of these senators in a state where there's a Democratic governor who gets to appoint the replacement. Okay. So how about that? How about the yeah. you bring Toomey on? I as, think that's that's a little bit more realistic. Okay. So wait, there's really not that much. Okay. So, but there's not really that much difference. Yes, it looks different, but the same thing happens. And I see, I, I've been able to meet Chris Coons a couple of times. He's a lovely man and a very, very, um, He's a good convincer. And Biden is going to have a mandate behind him to say, let's try to do something to save and help this country. And there are patriots on the right. I'm just saying that there's there's upside everywhere right now. Comparable. And yes, of course, if Warnock wins and Ossoff wins, it's done. If Alaska, if gro- you know, if, if the dude from Alaska and Jersey wins, we're in really good shape. If somehow Cunningham could have figured out how not to do what he did, dumbass, sorry, if he had not done what he did, he would have won, and this would be a different conversation. But there are still paths to progress. And I am I am naive, perhaps, or optimistic, perhaps, but I even see a possibility if the Republicans, I do not think that they're just going to let the country crater. I don't believe so. I think that McConnell's doing that with Obama had a lot to do with his race. And I think that his respect for Biden is higher and stronger. So- and I think Biden will be Biden will do a better job in being able to get Republicans than Obama did, which I've spoken about on the show before about one of my great disappointments about Obama was that he couldn't find his way to do it. Now, you can certainly come back at me and say, how should he have done it? They were blah, 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 blah. I get it. I get it. I get it. But there was that moment where Obama was standing at the lectern and someone said, why don't you have a drink with Mitch McConnell? And he, and he looks at the press and goes, why don't you have a drink with Mitch McConnell? Right. No, right? I, I agree. With you. And I never I, I, I've called him out on that. I love Barack Obama, but I called him out on that. And Joe Biden, you know what Joe Biden's going to say? I'm going to have a drink with Mitch McConnell because we got to fix this country. So I'm just saying I'm not saying it's going to work, but I'm saying there's upside there and that what we need more than we need people pushing through stuff in non bipartisan in, in total partisanship is we've got to find our way towards bipartisan government. We have to. That's what Biden promised. And he should be held to that. He has to find a way to reach across the aisle and make deals. We need it right now more than ever. Trump was never going to do that. Biden will. That's how the republic stays strong. Not by the Democrats getting everything they want. Not by the Republicans getting everything they want. But by working together. That's yeah, what it has to well, that's what's what that's what the system is designed to do. All right, now let's talk about polls, dude. Let's talk, yeah, about, let's talk about the polls. We got to move forward to polls because we got a lot. We still have a lot on our plate. You know, it, I, I think emotionally it must have been an interesting couple of days for you and for many of the top pollsters in the country. How are you feeling right now about how it all went down? I'm a lot more zen about this than I was four years ago when this happened. And the miss might even be bigger than four years ago. We just don't know. But um, the reason being is that, you know, after 2016 and we were all kind of, you know, soul searching. What did we do wrong? How did, how did, how could we, you know, get that big swing? Even though overall, technically the margin of error in the polls in 2016, wasn't any worse than in 2012. It just happened to go in a certain direction that gave a different narrative. And that's why I, I kept saying that in the end, when I'm looking at these polls and understanding the level of uncertainty with this kind of race and, and surrounding Donald Trump, you need to prepare yourself for a wide range of outcomes that are possible. And a reporter asked me about that. Well, that doesn't help us that much if you can say Biden can win by a lot or Donald Trump can win by a little. And my point is, that's the best that polls can do. You're expecting them to be a lot more precise than they're able to be. And that's the problem. 
is that, the, you know, they were kind of in the ballpark. In fact, it looks like Joe Biden is going to win pretty much every state that the polls said he was going to win just by a smaller margin, except for Florida and maybe North Carolina. We'll see how how close that ends up coming. Uh, but, you know, they, they said that, you know, he was surging in Georgia and we were seeing that, you know, he was going to win. He was going to win back that blue wall and not by as, as large a margin as the polls suggested, but he did. He was able to do that. I think what we're going to find is after all is said and done, um, you know, we we got things right in 2018 that suggests that polling actually works. The times that polling doesn't work is when this guy named Donald Trump is involved. You said uh, something about that. You tweeted this and I had to look it up. You said, and <laughs> you said uh, the sui. You described him as sui generis. Yeah. So I had to go look that up, and I looked it up, and you know what it means? It means unique. Yeah, he's of himself. There is no other like him, and I think polling Donald Trump is a a unique situation. Um, I don't think we'll we'll see it again um, unless we get a similar type of populist who plays on fear in such a way. And let me explain why I think that this is what we're going to find out after we do our autopsy of the, of this poll of, of this election, the polls were off the most in the States that were, had the least amount of diversity. And what we know, and from the work that I, I think I described that I done, did with John Dean and, and, and others is that you're propensity to go along with authoritarian leaders and even act on that authoritarianism through a social dominance uh, kind of action uh, that as we saw people taking guns and going out to the um, you know, go, going out to poll places and stuff this is tied also to racism I mean we have the evidence for that so I think race plays a lot into it and I think in in places where you where there is a lot of homogeneity, and lower education levels, you combine those two together where people are just insulated in their own world of a white working class world in the, in the Midwest is that they're very fearful of change. They're very fearful of difference. And if you can play off that fear, you can activate that authoritarian tendency that they have. And that's what Donald Trump has been successfully able to do. However, it's a bad thing to call people a racist. And what we have with Donald Trump that we haven't had with any other president, including Barack Obama, is that when we ask the question as pollsters, do you approve or disapprove of the job that the president is doing? People answer that question based on his policies. I can see they can point to that policy, this policy, I like this, I don't like that, and therefore I do or don't like the president, and that's fine. When we ask that question about Donald Trump, it's an answer about who I am as a human being. It says something about my value system. It says something about my you know, intrinsic morality, whether I approve or disapprove of Donald Trump. That's what Donald Trump has done. That's how he's changed the equation. He's no longer a typical politician. He is now an, uh, an object of, uh, of uh, where people answer the question based on social desirability. I don't want you to see me as a racist. Therefore, I won't talk about whether I like Donald Trump. So that brings me to two points. There were two spots where I think I actually, uh, I'm not always smart, but I think I got two spots mostly right, though there's one spot that balances it out. One was the question of the shy Trump voter that I brought up with you a few weeks ago. And not just you, all pollsters said, many pollsters were saying, there's no such thing anymore. Like if they want to say it, they're going to say it. But the numbers say something different. That, um, the, and there was some thought with many pollsters that it, there could be more Biden shy voters than Trump shy voters. That's not what we saw. We saw that there were more shy voters for Trump. 19% of Trump voters said that they kept their support 
for Trump a secret mm-hmm. from most of their friends compared to 8% of the Biden voters. Then there's the other one that I spoke about a couple of weeks ago and that I was feeling all smart about. And then when we chatted about it, you pointed made a, a very smart point. I said that I thought that there were going to be new voters for Trump because there were going to be people who had never voted before. And even in 2016, they were like, oh, I like this guy. But then it's like rooting for a baseball team that won the World Series, right? It's like, they well, they won the World Series. Now I'm really going to support them. And they went out there and they signed up to vote. And we saw those numbers in red counties all across states and countries. Now, what you pointed out, which was really smart, was? Well, they're, they're, new, they're new voters on both sides. Right. Uh, and that's why Joe Biden ended up being able to win. He, you know, he got a few more of those new voters than, than Donald Trump got new voters, but there were new voters on both sides. There's no question that it happened. And and the thing about the shy Trump vote that we said, it, it didn't it didn't exist in 2016. And by exist, I mean, it didn't exist in a large enough number where it was the reason why the polls were off or it was even okay. part of the reason why the polls were off. I think that it's likely that that's different this time around. And I remember a conversation that I had with a voter, and I think we even played that conversation or part of that conversation on a, an early episode of this podcast. Was it I, in Iowa? Yeah, it was in, out in Iowa. I was talking to a voter, this, yeah. and they were basically saying, you know, they were Republicans, and they were talking They were talking to me, fine, and telling me what they thought. But they were saying, you know, we work in the healthcare industries, so I, we think it's gotten worse we, that we can't even mention Donald Trump. Uh, around our coworkers, mm-hmm. and so we think there are more shy Trump voters this year than there were four right, years ago. I remember, ago. and he said that, that was a woman. It was a woman. Was, was it a, a woman? Couple? Yeah, it was a couple. It was a couple. That was a couple, right? Yep. And and the woman said, one of them said, and Trump is gonna win by a lot. Like based on all the people we know, Trump is going to win. All right. So look, and we're gonna get into one more part about the polls. I'm gonna give a little teaser about it, which is we're gonna start. I heard a, there was a tweet that went out, and that you think is a really interesting idea about how polling should shift moving forward in terms of where uh, attention is paid. We're going to get to that in our hot take segment, but let's move on now to the Republic and where things stand. And let's start with this, Patrick. (laughs) We used to do this all the time. Like, is the patient, you know, we used to describe the Republic, for new listeners, we used to describe the Republic as like a patient on, it was largely during the impeachment we did this, it was like a patient in the ICU. And this was before COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And we said, where is the, where is the Republic? And we had different times where we were on life support. I think there was one time where you said it's just flat out dead, right? Um, brain where, dead, I think I had at one point, what, right? what did you say? I think it was brain dead. Brain dead, right. Yeah. That's what you said. And I said, yeah. no, it's not there yet. You're like, oh no, it's brain dead. Um, I said, no, because it can come back. So now here we are. Where do you think the Republic is right now in terms of a patient? Off the ventilator and the fever is broken. But still, a lot of a lot of recuperation left to do. I mean, I, I actually I, I think you're more optimistic right now than I am. I think off the ventilator, the fever has not broken, but still in the ICU. <laughs> certainly, still in the ICU. Yeah. There is a path that we can see now where it will survive. Right. We're, we're we're out of the we're, we are seemingly out of the going towards death, but anything could tip us back into that situation quickly. And here are a couple of those things. Donald Trump talking to the, uh, to his press conference on, on Thursday. It wasn't evening. a press conference. Oh yeah. Yeah. You keep saying, yeah, you're right. It wasn't, it, wasn't. it was, it was him. It was, it was him just, 
Yeah, him out there spouting lies. What was that like and, for you, Pat? That's 17 minutes. I watched it. What was I that did like? watch it. I watched it live. You watched it live? Yes. And he I'm did. glad he didn't name me because he, oh my he, God, yes. he named the Quinnipiac poll. And the, this whole thing about, uh, here, let me, we were talking about polls. Just quick thing, uh, polling yes. suppression is that any, if you know any pollster that we live and die, like our religion is getting things right, that everything else doesn't matter as long as we get things right. Obviously we didn't get it right this time around, but that's, that's all we care about. We're not out there suppressing. We don't do anything intentionally. And as I said, we might be have been for the past four years underestimating Donald Trump's support level by a couple of points all along, completely unintentionally because of the shy Trump effect. But that is what it is. But it's but the problem, the the, the thing that I was worried about, and you know, him calling those those pollsters out is that Quinnipiac. Yeah, I mean, was it, was four years ago. We we started. We were getting death threats and things, and that hadn't happened this year. And I'm like worried that that's going to turn up again for oh, these sorry folks. about that but i was watching and i heard because he was talking about the florida poll and and the quinnipiac said this and then the washington post said 17 points in wisconsin and i was really like please don't mention monmouth please don't mention <laughs> yeah. i was doing i was doing this oh my god thing. i bet you were yeah. no but, but but so um i found that 17 minutes to be uh interesting to watch right so i'm going to look at it from the actor's point of view i was watching a, a guy who uh, lives on serotonin and adrenaline and it's part of what makes him so appealing to so many people there's a guy on his last breaths of that he he sees he sees a very dark future for himself in a number of different ways and that was just dripping off of him while he was calling to action his stand back and stand by he didn't fully say go but he sort of said you sh you could consider going you know, people need to get together and, and stop what's happening here in this country. It's terrible. It's being robbed from me. You know, they're they're counting the illegal votes. If it was just the legal votes, I would be the president. It was shocking to watch, dangerous to see, and why I think we're still in the ICU and I don't think the fever is broken um, because anything can happen from from this position. It was shocking for me. Yeah. It was it was it was awful. Um, and then. I'm going to quote something and I'm going to ask you, well, you, you put it in here, but it's time to clean up this mess and stop looking like a banana Republic. You want to tell everybody who, who wrote that on Twitter? Yeah, it's a great quote, isn't it? Except for the, the problem was, is it was said by Donald Trump jr. Completely unironically, uh, because the only banana Republic behavior we're getting is from his father right now, uh, you know, with what he's doing. Uh, and that's what we're worried about going forward is inciting that, that, that behavior. You know, one of the things that I, I found in my polling and, and, and talking to people who are Trump supporters is that they fully believe that his unconstitutional behavior is in fact defending the constitution. That's the upside down world we're living in right now. That's pretty upside down right there. And, and pretty scary. Um, then we had a Georgia state lawmaker, African-American, um, state lawmaker who told supporters um, we have seen the whites of their eyes and it's time to start shooting. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good image. And he's, I didn't see whether he dialed it back at all or um, they're all going to say, I have not seen it. Yeah, just a metaphor or whatever, but it was interesting what happened in the room after he said it, it yeah. wasn't, I, I was expecting cause I had, you'd pointed this out. So I went and found it. I was expecting the room to be like, yeah. And the room was kind of like, Whoa! <laughs> they were like, oh, "Oh, okay. Are we really yeah, doing yeah. that?" 
and 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 that whole that the Trump appearance again, you know, the media turned it off after he was lying after lying. They finally turned it off. But um, you know, you're about four years too late with that. Yeah, my wife last night, my better half, um, she brought that up and said, you know, isn't it impressive that they finally shut it off? It's like, and I said to her, um, no, it's not, um, because. It's easy to turn off the president now because he's not the president. It's going to be interesting to watch how people look at President Trump. I found it within myself, this idea that there's a certain amount of respect that has to go to the pre- to the office itself. Once he's out of that office or once it looks like he's going to be leaving that office, respect is going to shift and change. We saw that with Ben Sass, Sass, Marco Rubio, you know, Marco Rubio That's not hope. a week ago. Yeah. was telling was in front of a large group of people screaming saying hey it's great what's happened we talked about it on the show it's great what's happening in florida not run people off the road and then tuesday night or wednesday night he comes out and says every vote must be counted stop this nonsense chris christie look every you, and you know chris christie i mean yeah. you really know chris christie i think he, i think chris christie had a covid conversion i don't think he had a covid conversion i think he had a us attorney situation on his hands Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's I, I just think there's certain things that like, you know, it's it's like Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof. Like you can't if you bend that far, you're going to break. Yeah. And I, I think it's more that I always I, I'm nervous to say this because people have a lot of great reasons to hate Chris Christie. Um, he was my choice in 2016 on the Republican side. I, I just I, I find him uh, I find him true largely. I mean, you know, arrogant and all the things that he is also. And he's but but and you know him better than I do. But the fact that he came out also Rick Santorum, you know, it's like right. you're drinking Santorum. I was surprised with Santorum, who's been you would be surprised if you were watching CNN as much as I've been watching CNN, MSNBC and Fox, frankly, you wouldn't have been so surprised because. You know, he's sitting at a table with all these other people and he looks a bit like a beaten dog because anytime he goes outside of the zone and tries to defend Trump, he just gets yelled at by Anderson Cooper and by Gloria Borger and David Axelrod and, you know, and Van Jones. I mean, they just yell him down like, how dare you? Oh, my God. So it didn't surprise me so much. And I, I see him. He's sort of walking it back a little bit. But there, there was a moment where I was like, hey, look, Rick Santorum. It depends on, you know, who are you sitting down at the table with? It's yeah, gonna... but you got to remember that these folks are political animals first and foremost. Yeah. And, you know, it's like when those Republican senators went to, in 1974, went to talk to Richard Nixon and telling him his time is up. They weren't there to put moral pressure on him. They were there to basically tell him, we, we can't for our own political sake support you anymore. So if this comes to a vote on impeachment, you're done. We just want to let you know that. And so I guess when, that's what when I look at doing. right. Yeah. So when I look at Christie, when I look at uh, Rubio and Sass, we're, uh, and Ted Cruz, we're looking at people who are are eyeing 2024, right? They're making and different what, calculations, aren't they? And they're they? making different calculations exactly about which segment of the Republican Party they think they can win over and or would need to win over in order to um, win the nomination. Well, the what, only person in that group that is smart. If, you, if that's the only calculation you're making, has to be Ted Cruz, because everyone th- this party is not going to leave Donald Trump's possession anytime soon. And Trump is going to decide whether he's going to run again in 2024, which is what I anticipate if he can stay healthy enough to do it. Um, but if not, if he's still walking, he's going to say, Ted Cruz. All right. Well, Ted was there for me. You know, yeah. and, and but if you if you if you're Rubio or Sass or Christie, your calculation is 
I can never win over the Trump wing of the party. So my hope is that Donald Trump does not want to run again and that there are too many other Trumpian, you know, Trumpian wannabes that Got they'll it. split the Trumpian vote and maybe I can win on the anti-Trump vote. On, I mean, that's that the calculation lane. because they know they can't occupy the Trump lane. Therefore, the right, hope is that the Trump lane is too crowded. Got it. And Cruz. Cruz <sighs> thinks he can run, win the Trump lane. He was. And in fact, I, I remember looking back at our polling in uh, the primaries in 2015, 2016 there. He was the kind of the, the, the more ideologically sound choice of those Trump voters. They just, you know, they just started swinging from him to Trump uh, at that point. I, well, because of personality, I, just Ted Cruz, unfortunately, I, I may have mentioned this year, uh, you, you know, 18 months ago, but if you ever want to have a laugh, if you put in um, Ted Cruz on YouTube lip sync, uh, there's a five minute video of him uh, talking, but it's a different voice. And, and it's just just grab grab five minutes because it's uh, it's funny, man. But I, funny. I agree with you on, on one final one, you know, final thought on this. A, a lot about the future of the republic will learn from how the Republicans in particular react to Donald Trump's continued attempts to undermine the integrity of these election results, as he will do over the next few weeks. And that will give us a better clue of the direction that the patient's health is heading over the next few weeks. Okay. All right. So let's move on to our hot take segment where we take 90 seconds to discuss some other topics in the news. And when you hear this sound, it's time to move on to the next one. So uh, Patrick, you're sending the first one to me. Yeah. So uh, Fox News and the Associated Press called Arizona early. Uh, there was a point um, uh, Thursday by Thursday night that it looked like that might have been a mistake. Uh, might at, at the time that we're recording this, looks like maybe uh, Biden's going to hold on there. But, you know, Fox was way out ahead of everybody else on making these calls for for Biden. So you have so I bet you have some thoughts about how Donald Trump feels about that. I really do. I mean, that was that was a shocking moment. They even brought the guy on the fake Brett Bear's face when he said, really, you're you're really calling it right there. And then it was people were losing their minds because this was Fox News. Now, is are these the same as the pollsters, the guy who made the call? No, that that's it's group? a different group. But the guy who makes the call is a different group from their very good pollsters. But he's also a, an incredibly sound uh, you know, person, honest person. Right. And he was, he was like, look, I'm sorry. I mean, he even said, I'm sorry, the president is not going to get enough votes with what's left to come back and win. I think that was a key moment in, in Tuesday night because everything that happened before that, it looked like 2016 Trump won. It looked like he was going to win Georgia, uh, North Carolina. He had already won Florida. Texas was gone. You know, it really looked just like, Oh, all right, this is just a repeat that everything was wrong. Then Arizona gets called by Fox and really changed the dynamics of the evening and really switched things back to, oh, Biden has a real chance to win this thing now, no matter how things are going to go. Here's what I think happens. Donald Trump has spent a number of many years complaining about Fox News, basically saying since Roger Ailes is gone, I mean, he even was on TV like three days ago saying, you know, it used to be different back in the old days. You went to had Pete Buttigieg on here talking about me in this way, Right. I think that this opens the door for Donald Trump. His post-presidency business is Trump TV. Trump TV. <laughs> I oh, think right. that gives us, I think that's where he goes. And he's mad at Fox, so he's not going to be sad about it. And I think it's going to be very successful. He'll make back all the money he lost. All right. Uh, so that's something we have to, uh, can I say, look forward to? 
<laughs> I don't know. But. All right. So the next one is, do you think uh, we are a center left or a center right country as these results came in? Uh, you know, I have a friend who says to me always, we are a center right country, you know, and we have to figure out how to govern from that position. Uh, I, I think that's probably true. A little bit more center right than center left. What do you think? I think we are a much more diverse country than that. I think you really can't pin it down. I think that's one of the reasons why Joe Biden may have been the only candidate who could have won. Right. Okay. So good. I'm, I'm, listen, I want to hear center, center or center left. That would be better for, for, for my viewpoint. Let's talk about this for a second. I am with you. And I think we believe this at the time as we were doing the whole democratic candidate that, that whole, uh, you know, my friend used to say, we'll never make it to the early bird special about Joe Biden. Well, I called him the night of the election and I said, uh, he made it to the early bird special. He said, he made it to dinner. He's asking for the check. He's buying everybody around. No one else in the Democratic Party could have done, I believe, what Joe Biden did. Right. I don't think Buttigieg, Warren, any of them, Bernie, I don't think that any of them would have held that blue wall together. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Because he, he was center and center right. He was able to appeal to them. And he was also able to make the center left feel comfortable enough with him that he would listen to, you know, you were talking about sitting down with Mitch McConnell. I think it's more important that uh, AOC in that crowd feels that he can sit down with them. Absolutely. And they, he better be able to sit down with them because they're in some ways awesome. They have great they have great parts of them. And there there's to be a tip of the cap to AOC, Bernie Sanders and the far left wing of the party, because even though they didn't get the nominee that they wanted, they didn't complain about it. They did everything they could to stop Donald Trump. And and, and that was a, a great success. All right. I, I want to get your thoughts on something that I was not able to pay attention to on this next one, which is because I couldn't watch TV because you were much because of working. <laughs> you were doing real quick. I was working. I was uh, I, I do consulting work for the NBC News decision desk and they broke us up into two shifts, basically, because they thought that was going on. So my shift started like about two in the morning on on Wednesday morning and went through into Thursday. So well, I'm not watching you. TV. So I, I, I want to ask you, I mean, so, you know, I, I love watching the numbers, guys. And on MSNBC, there's Steve Kornacki on CNN. There's John King. What did you I know you were watching both of them. So what did you think of both? I sure was. And, you know, everyone loves the Kornacki. And I understand why it, he can get a bit much at times for me, just energetically. I like when he's a little bit calmer, but he gets so much kudos because that dude, he was the energizer bunny, bro. I mean, he would, would not go to sleep. He wanted to be on that board when the race was called. Even last night, Ali Velshi came in for 15 minutes. Right. New votes came out in Pennsylvania. Kornacki goes back. King also, I have to say, I was never a huge fan of King. I always found him a little presentational. I thought he was brilliant. I, I In fact, if I had to give my vote for Kornacki with his brown pants that he never changes, or apparently he's got a number of yeah. different, he's got, he's got more pairs of them or John King. Usually I would go Kornacki, but for this election, I found myself always going back to CNN to, mostly to see what John King had to say. And I thought he was smart and, but both great and, and both knowledgeable and, and care so, and, and not so partisan. It was really impressive to watch. So I, 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 sort of know both of them. Now, John King, I only know by correspondence. I've actually never done John King's show, but he's um, always emailing me with questions about the polls. He's always got smart questions that he wants to know more about. You know, that's, he's just a smart guy um, and very calm and, you know, his presence there as he explains that, right? Steve Kornacki, I've known personally for 18 years. He got to start as a New Jersey reporter. So he and I have actually, you know, we've been doing TV together and on and off for 18 years. Um, So I know him really well. 
he carries so so much information in his head. Yeah, it's he does. all there, and there's nobody. But I want I want to give a special shout out because you said talk about Steve uh, Kornacki being, and I'm sorry going over here, but the shout out needs to come for Steve Kornacki's producer Adam Neboa. Uh, who was in the last election known as Beard Man because somebody caught a picture of him talking to Steve and he has a beard. But Steve Kornacki always, when when MSNBC says, can you do this, can you do this? He says, yes, I can do this, which means Adam has to do it too. There you go. So behind the scenes, and when you see Steve talking to his producer, that's Adam he's talking to who's got to stay up with him through this whole thing. So kudos to him too. Sorry I went over. You went way over. Okay, now we're going to move on to, we've got the next hot topic uh, is, uh, the hot take, sorry, is the pollster question. So I saw something on Twitter about someone recommended that instead of pollsters doing polls all across the country, because of what we saw in Iowa, where that pollster is so consistently good. This person suggested that instead of pollsters going around the country, they focus on two states, maybe three, and they really dive deep into those states. I called you a little nervous about how you might feel about that, and I was surprised by your answer. What do you think of that, Patrick? I don't think it's a particularly bad idea. I mean, it will never happen uh, for various reasons of competition. But yeah, I mean, Ann Seltzer, who's the pollster out there for the Des Moines Register, just nails it, and she nails it every time. And that's where she's from. And she just no understands Iowa. Um, I, I told you, like, I really understand New Jersey and I wouldn't see New Jersey to anyone else, even even though I got that Van Drew race a little bit off uh, by I pulled it over a month ago. And I think things have shifted since the, the month that I pulled it. But, you know, there's there's state there's things that you, you uh, that about electorates that are different in each state and you kind of know them really well. And, and your suggestion there made some sense that, you know, why focus on certain ones and, 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 uh, and I get a real good read on that. Okay. So, you get three states. Who are you going to pick quick? Okay. So, uh, you had to pick three, which three would they be for you? Oh boy. Jersey, uh, New Jersey, obviously. Um, Pennsylvania. Uh, I don't know. Pennsylvania's <laughs> disappointed. Let me down a number <laughs> of times, but, uh, Arizona is another state where I I've done well. Okay. And, um, uh, there's going to be another one that's going to come to me. The, the, I think Georgia. Georgia is another state that I've actually done well in the years that I've been polling there. All right. So, so there's my three states. You get to spend a lot of time in the warm weather. That's not a bad, not a bad move. Um, okay, moving on. All right. So for the last one here, you've got this crazy idea. So why don't you just run with it? Okay. So here's my here's what I saw. In Georgia, there are three million votes on either side, or two million, but some, somewhere. But they are within. A thousand votes of each other. Think about that. Two million six hundred fifty-four thousand three hundred sixty-three to two million six hundred fifty-three thousand eight hundred. And I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist because I I'm not. And there there's a moment where I went. We really are living in a simulation. Like this is a simulation. Like something is. There's a there's a there's a maybe you know God the universe. It's a test for us. It's a test to see, can we find a way that we're so close, evenly split, this country, I mean, how is that possible? That all of these states can come down to so few people. So to me, what it suggested was, and if the simulation were to hold, because Trump was losing um, votes in Pennsylvania and losing them in Georgia, 
when Arizona started going the other way, I thought, ah, it's the perfect simulation then. Because what then, that if, if, if Trump actually came back and took Arizona, it would make it so that it was just like, no, there's nothing wrong here. This is just how voting works, about which votes you're counting first. And because of Pennsylvania not letting them count till the day of, which was a political decision on Trump's part, so he could throw this into the mix— the fact that Arizona is over here on the other side and it's doing the same thing balances it out with the hope that the republic will be able to get through this, that we will be able to get through these next two months because these next two months are going to be really, really challenging times. And so it was just a moment I had. I'm not I'm not saying we are indeed living in this simulation, but I did have this moment where I thought, hmm, maybe real quick, Patrick, crazy or not so crazy? Pretty crazy? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But why okay. not? Why not? <laughs> Right. All right. So now we're going to move on to what's become my favorite part of the show. We're going to bring in our producer, uh, Justin Mason, who's going to join us for our last hot take and tell us what he thinks about what he's seen over the course of this last week or what he thinks about so far what we're doing with the show. Justin, welcome. I think this was an election for the soul of our democracy and our republic. Uh, but I also think that the results are going to challenge what the souls of the Democratic and Republican parties are going to be going forward. I think this is a turning point, especially for the Republican Party, but a time for the Democratic Party to re-examine uh, how they're going to run national campaigns, because I really felt like they should have had a blue wave. This should have been a mandate on what the soul of our country was going to be, and it wasn't, you know. Biden's going to win, but there was no clear mandate in terms of, you know, the uh, the, the soul of the country. So uh, I'm very interested to see what the state of our republic is going to be moving forward and what the state of these two parties are going to be moving forward. I'm going to disagree with you on one point there, Justin. Um, I do think this was, I mean, depending on how Arizona falls, how North uh, Georgia falls, it looks like our, it looks like Nevada is definitely going to stay in Biden's camp. That's 306 electoral votes. That's the exact number that Donald Trump got. I do think that the soul of the nation was spoken to this this past week. It's not the blue wave that we saw in 2018. The Senate is disappointing, though not fully decided. But I do think there was it may not have been a decisive vote for the soul of the nation. I do think that there were there were some ticks on that side. Patrick, what do you think of that? I, I actually am more inclined to agree with Justin, and I'm I'm afraid if we keep letting him talk, he's going to end up. We're going to have to give him the show. Got it. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I still, I still, uh, you know, I always tend to be the more optimistic of the two of us. No, 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 it's not optimistic. I think I think his analysis there is good, and I'll tell you why. Look at the county by county vote in these states. Joe Biden increased his share in Democratic counties, so increased the Democrats' share in Democratic counties. Then look at the neighboring county that's Republican, and Donald Trump increased his share. We are becoming more polarized in these little pods that are literally right next to each other. Yeah, I get it. And that's, I get it, that's what's becoming. Have... I mean, you're looking overall at the, at the picture of the aggregate, and the aggregate says Joe Biden, there, there is a message sent. But within that aggregate, we are digging these... Uh, trenches between our tribes even deeper i disagree and here's why because of who we elected if it was hillary clinton who was elected today i i think that that is true um if it was uh elizabeth warren 
uh, if it was Bernie Sanders, if it was Jay Inslee, I have to say more men because it's not it's not about women or men at all. But but I do believe that Joe Biden gives us the best chance of any human right now to find a way to come together. So I guess I'm looking forward a little bit. Just the fact that he is going to be the president. We, he knocked off a sitting president. How many times has that happened? Banged. How many times has that happened in right. in the last 50 years? We've had it happen with Carter. It's happened with George H.W. Bush. And uh, that's it. Yep. That's the list. So there is a change. You're, you're going to get reelected unless you do something that makes it that you don't. All right. Let's move right. on to our guardian of the week. Um, this is where we look at people who have done something for our country outside of their own personal political interest and have been a great service to our country. Um, Patrick, tell us, who did you who did you do and who did I do? Um, yes. So we found out that separately we made these nom- the, no- the same nomination this week. Um, yeah. And we agreed with this because we were thinking it all along. And these are the folks who work the polls and are continuing to tabulate those votes. Um, without them, none of this would happen. And we even said that uh, ourselves, this nomination, before what Donald Trump said on Tuesday, right. uh, Thursday night about uh, stopping the vote and putting these folks in danger with what he stopped. I mean, we've seen this. We've seen calls for beheadings. We've seen uh, from Steve Bannon, uh, incredible. And then we've, we saw that one case in Philadelphia where somebody from Virginia drove up uh, to potentially attack the, uh, the site in Philadelphia. where they're But also counting. in Maricopa County in mm-hmm. Arizona where you had, you had 50 to 100 people with guns outside screaming. And I don't know if they knew what they were screaming because in Arizona, you don't want to say stop the vote. You want to say keep the vote going. But I fully, fully agree. Another, another guardian of the week I want to say to add to this is the secretaries of state in these countries who are dealing with just so much pressure. In Michigan, yeah. in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, the gentleman in Georgia, the guy in Georgia, the the manager of what's he, the manager of elections or manager of data or whatever, who comes out after the Secretary of State, just is so poised, and and share transparent with sharing information, and there are um, Republicans yeah. and Democrats working together to make sure that this vote is true. I'm going to give myself a, a ding because I was the one who was talking about it's no way that these votes could be so close. Maybe there's Russian interference, changing of the votes. There is no sign of that in this country. There's no sign of any of that. It just looks like each county, each state is being cared for by both Republicans and Democrats in those voting sites. They take it so seriously. They, they are the guardians. Of and remember, the what is a guardian? Louis, somebody who steps out of their own role, puts their own political future at risk, is that we usually phrase it. Right. In this case, these are just everyday people who said signed up in a pandemic. Yes. To work side by side in the middle of a pandemic. Uh Counting, doing what is necessary for the basic fundamental democratic operation of this country. And on top of all of that, they now have to deal with threats to their you safety. Know, that is a true guardian. Justin, I'm so sorry. Earlier in the show, I said that this is becoming getting you on the show is one of my favorite parts of the show. The Guardian of the Week is becoming my is become my favorite part of the show because we talked last week about the voters. This week, we're talking about the people who are helping the vote. 
it's 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 a great time. This 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 gives hope for America. Yep. The fact that people aren't stepping back from this, people are stepping forward. It's a it's a it's a great benefit. It's a beautiful thing. Huge kudos to to these folks. All right, so that's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. If you have any comments or thoughts for the show, please reach out to us on Twitter at Guardians O T R. And please remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes on your favorite podcast app. Give us a rating and tell your friends and family so others can find us. Also, if you want to catch up on some of our past episodes, check out our website at guardians-republic.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back with a new episode soon. See ya. Thank you, Justin, and thank you, listeners.